Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. We are in part seven, looking at the essentials of missional living. This series has forced me to take stock and look at myself. There's a lot of areas where I feel connected to and I feel like I have a a strong kind of coherence with. And then there's some areas of this where they are really challenging for me because I don't feel like I am up to par. I, I feel like this is challenging me to become more and to grow in these areas. And this is definitely one of those areas where as I was going through this, I, I felt like, you know what, someone else should probably have taught this one because I'm probably not the best at this. But I hope that you guys will learn just as I'm learning as we're going through this, because we're going to be talking about pausing and taking a breath. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about flying to New Orleans, bless you, the Sabbath, the secret of living longer. Aren't you glad you came? Saturdays off and three-step spirituality. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That's such a, a poetic way of expressing something, clothed with power from on high. In Acts Chapter 1, he goes on and he says, Do not leave Jerusalem. And this is after the resurrection, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the, the Holy Spirit, clothed with power from on high. They're talking about the same thing. We've been talking so much about being sent, about going, and and that we are supposed to be postured and moving out, that God sent his son, that the son is sending the spirit, and the spirit is sending the church. But there is another aspect of living a life like Christ that we need to step back and reflect on. Because even though we are told to go, before we go... We're told to wait, which is a little bit maybe conflicting. It's like, okay, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And then he says, yeah, just wait. Just wait for the gift that the Father has promised. Years ago, uh, one of my kids was in New Orleans. 
he was working, uh, doing some work in the Gulf. And we got a phone call. Uh, one of my sons got a phone call from him that was p- troubling. He called and said he was hit by a car and that he confronted the person who hit him in the car and then he got into altercation. And then a lot of things were happening and then he had to go and he felt like he was running for his life. And then he hung up and then that was it. Good night. You know, it's like, okay. And, and so we're left with this information of something happened and we don't know where he is and we don't know what's going on. And so it was about, I think, nine o'clock our time, which would have been about, I think, midnight that time. And so I got on a plane to New Orleans to get there the next morning. And we haven't heard from him. We don't know what's going on. And so as I'm waiting between where I am and where I'm going to be, there is absolutely nothing I can do except worry, right? And I do that pretty good, by the way. I have a way of doing that. And so that whole time, I remember just thinking on the flight, like, what am I going to come to? What are my steps? Do I go to the police department? Where do I go? I knew where the place of work was, but there was so much I did not know, and all I could do was wait. And it seems we have the hardest time waiting. We want to do something, right? We, We want to be involved in some way. I read that... 37% of Americans take fewer than seven days off per year. And that of Americans that take fewer than seven days per year, only 14% take vacations of two weeks or longer. And those who take even the vacations, 20% of them still check into the office while they are on vacation. Right? And so we have a culture where we are driven to be working and it's kind of hardwired into who we are. So that even when we take time off, we have to be involved. And it seems we have a hard time relaxing or I think actually we have a hard time not being in control. That's more accurate for me. I have a hard time not being able to take control of a situation because that's how I want to move forward, in control, knowing my options, knowing what I have to do. I feel secure. And when I don't have that, I feel very insecure. And I don't think that's uncommon for us. And I don't think it's uncommon for humanity. When the Sabbath was instituted for the the nation of Israel, right? There was a reason that it took place, and it's recorded all the way in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 2, it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, and on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. If you're like me, this passage just brings up questions. What do you mean God rested? What does that look like, right? It's trying to convey something to us, but what's it trying to convey? What is the point that Genesis is trying to bring out? We see a little bit more illustration in Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. 
where it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Again, here's this idea of holy, this idea of it's special, an idea that there's hard to put words on what it means because it, it has so much depth to it. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Again, what do you mean he rested? What does this mean to us? Remember, this is being written right after they have come out of enslavement in Egypt, where for seven days a week they labored. 365 days a year, all they did was work. They made bricks. They did whatever they had to do because that's what they were forced to do. And for hundreds of years, their mindset is we are here to do this work. And imagine what that would do to your way of thinking and your way of life, where all it is is work, 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 work. And all of a sudden, there is this presentation of you were made for more than work. You need to rest. Because God made you to rest. You were made for more than work. You were made for God. And God has paused so that he could interact with his creation. And so now they get to step into this, understanding that my life is not just about the work. It's not just about what I do. It is about who I am in relationship to the creation and my place in that creation. And so Jesus would say, he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It's not about how much you get. Life is more than the things. It's more than the work. There is more involved than just having the stuff. Jesus also said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And again, there was a move at this time toward working, keeping the law to please God instead of living a life according to God's good pleasure where it became a labor instead of a living, where it was about what you could do to earn approval instead of recognizing the Sabbath isn't there so that you have to keep it. The Sabbath was there to benefit you, to help you understand who you are because you're not just a beast of burden. You're not just an animal meant to work and provide a living. You have more to you than just that. And when we lose that awareness, 
We fall into this place where we just think it's what we do. We have to behave a certain way. We have to act a certain way. We have to do these things, and that's what matters. And all along, the whole idea is, no, that's not what matters. It's you that matters. It's the relationship with God that matters. And we have to recognize that because there are some important things that we need to learn and we need to accept. There are some things that they found out that are actually secrets to living longer. Guys ready? Right? This is, this is great. You thought you were going to just come here a Bible study. I'm going to help you live longer, right? This is what we're doing here. There was a time when the danger of disease was the biggest risk to how long we'd live. And in some parts of the world, that's still the case, where there is a lot of disease and there's a lot of problems. But for the Western world, it's something else. Okay, Juliana Holt Lundsted, a researcher, found a study of tens of thousands of middle-aged people that the longevity of their life found out after living a certain lifestyle. She looked at diet, exercise, marital status, doctor visits, whether they smoke or drank. And after waiting a time to see who kicked the bucket first, right? She's waiting to see what are the results of these tens of thousands of people who were part of her research. What reduced your chances of dying the most? At the bottom of the list... And there's, of course, other things, but at the bottom of the list, all the things that were relative was clean air. Good to know. We live in L.A. or close to it, right? We don't need clear air, clean air to live a longer life. Hypertension, high blood pressure. That wasn't at the top of the list to get rid of the blood pressure. Now, these are all things that are important, but that wasn't at the top of the list. Lean versus over the weight. Being overweight, don't you feel a sigh of relief right now? Just like, okay, good, right? That's only number three on the list. It's not at the top of the list. Whether you're skinny or overweight is not what makes the most difference on the longevity of your life. Exercise is just over whether you're overweight or not, which probably has to do something with that. Uh, Cardiac rehab, if you have any kind of heart conditions, and your rehabilitation in that. The flu vaccine. The flu vaccine has more to do whether you live a long life than exercise. I'm just going to get a flu shot every month. Hey, right? No, I know it doesn't work that way. But it had more to do with the longevity of life than these other things. Quit boozing. Quit smoking. Those things played a higher role on whether you lived a long life or not. If you drank too much, if you smoked too much. The two top things that determined whether you lived longer life or not had to do with close relationships and social integration. Close relationships are the people you go to. The people you go to when you're in trouble. You need a ride to the doctors. You need to borrow some money. You have a situation and you need some counsel. These are the close people. But the number one thing was social integration. This is 
the people you're not even closest to. This is talking to your barista at Starbucks. This is saying hello to the cashier at Stater's. This is having conversation with just ordinary people that you are around. That this had the most effect on the longevity of your life. The places in the world that have the highest percentage of centenarians, the people who live to be 100 years and older, they're called blue zones. There's two of them. One is Sardinian village in Italy, and the other is the islands in Okinawa islands there in Japan. These people have the highest percentage of people living over 100 years old. And it doesn't have to do with the diet. It doesn't have to do with exercise. It doesn't have to do whether they're happy or bitter or grumpy. It has to do with their interaction And their involvement, the older people in these small villages are still very much involved in the lives of everybody. And so they're constantly engaging and being engaged. And this had the most effect on how long you live. Next time you're at the store, you're going to think twice about not talking to anybody, right? If you just talk to someone, say, hey, how's it going? Boom, there's a week to your life, right? I mean, what's going on? You just boosted your your status there. And it's something that we don't even think about because we think it's all about this, but you were made in a mysterious way. And these things affect us in ways we don't fully understand. But you were made for more than work. And so much of our lives now have become isolated. It wasn't the same having interaction on social media or texting did not affect the brain the same way as face-to-face reaction time and how it affects our body. That you have to be engaged with people in life and it actually helps you to live longer. It's estimated that the average American has two close friends. In these other cultures, they have dozens. Makes us think. And then I know your mind is going, wait, who are my closest friends? I'm thinking, right? I can see all the way. Wait, I got one. Oh, no, I've only got one. I'm doomed, right? (laughs) The more relationships you have and are involved with, the more it affects your health and longevity. Now, of course, there's other things. This isn't just how it is, period. But this has the biggest, most consistent way of things that they've seen that helps people to live longer. But it takes an effort. We have to be engaging. We have to be involved. For me and my work, when I do the dog training, Saturdays are my busiest days. Everyone wants a Saturday because that's the weekend. That's when they have off. And so Karina and I share our our calendars on our phone, right? Because we learned how to do that. And and so I'll get a a post if she's got something on her calendar. and She gets posts when I've got my lessons scheduled. And I'm noticing on her calendar, on her Saturdays, she has time with Milo. That's my grandson, right? She's going to spend time with my grandson. I'm going to be with the dogs. 
And, and, and I'm starting to notice this because she's going there periodically to help them out just because my daughter-in-law is a photographer. She works Saturdays as well, and so she needs help on some of these Saturdays. And I had to make a decision. Do I want to miss out on these weekends? Because she always comes back just smiling and happy, and I don't. And I have made it a decision that I am going to take some Saturdays off so that I can be with my grandson so that I can spend time. Now, I'm talking with people. I'm not, you know, out in isolation. But it took an effort. And for me, it was, this is more important than making this money. Because I can do two lessons on a Saturday, and that's good money for me. But it's not what's important. It's it's not what's important, or it shouldn't be. Because I can go through and I could work and I could come back and I say, yes, look what I got, look what I've got. And now he's, you know, walking and riding bikes and going off to college. And, you know, I mean, it's just going to happen. I look at our kids out here. I mean, Bella this morning, she's out bouncing a ball. I'm like, when did that happen? Right? She's just like walking around. It's like, man, there's no stopping it. See, you were made for relationships. And the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. There's a priority that needs to be put in our lives. So that if we are going to move forward, we move forward in a healthy way. We are supposed to make people who I know and believe in know that they're important. Because really... What is it supposed to be about? What If I'm going to go out and make disciples of all men, maybe I need to pause and think about what kind of disciples I'm making. Is it really just to get them to know, believe the right things? Oh, you got to believe this. You got to know this. Now you're a disciple. Are we supposed to make them do the right things, follow the right laws? Okay, now you're a disciple. You're doing the right things. What does all of this have to do with Jesus' commission? Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Eugene Peterson's translation says, instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. Now, that sounds like a lot, but maybe it's not as much as we're thinking. I mean, after all, what did Jesus say the whole law and the prophets rest on? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe to make disciples, this is really what we're pointing to is how to help people Love God and love each other, not follow the rules, not do all the right things, but actually to be people who are engaged. And maybe to be people who are engaged before we can go out and do, we have to sit back and wait. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to start a revolution 
of the soul. He came to restore humanity, to restore what it means to be human, to usher in the kingdom of God and our role in the kingdom of God. And we are not laborers in the kingdom of God. We are not there just to work. We are there with purpose and for relationship. And, and if we lose this, then everything else is hollow. All the work can be great work, but if it's not built with the relationship, it, it starts to lose its real power. And so making disciples is about becoming people who live, love, and look like Jesus. But why do we wait? And what are we waiting for? Well, he said to be clothed with power on high and for the gift that the Father had promised. And I think it's important that we recognize some things here. And, you know, AA and some other programs have a 12-step program. Well, this is the three-step spirituality that I'm going to put, and it's really taken from these things because the reason that AA is so successful is because of these steps. It's because of how these steps affect the lives of those who are there involved with it. It works when people put it to work. And allow it to work in their lives. And the first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. It shouldn't surprise us that if we are given a commission that is supposed to change humanity, then we too must be changed. That we have to realize that our lives are unmanageable that we are in a place and in need of help, that this is fundamental. This is what repentance means, right? It means to change your way of thinking, to move from one place to another, to allow change to take place in your life. Because unless we allow change, we will not change. Nothing changes if nothing changes, We don't change. Humanity doesn't change until we recognize things are not manageable as they are. There has to be something that changes within me, and I have no control over it. I'm on a plane flying to New Orleans, and I don't know what's waiting. I don't know what's going on. I am out of control. It is beyond me. It shouldn't surprise us that the lives we live are beyond our control when there are so many people involved with our lives, right? Anyone in control of everybody in their life? Okay, I didn't think so. I'm not even in control of me. And so recognizing, admitting our powerlessness over alcohol, over any kind of drug, over control is an important first step. Second is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Again, a task that is too big for us is going to require a strength 
that is greater than us. If we are being commissioned to be a representative for God and to be his disciples, to bring change into the world, that is beyond me, and it requires a strength beyond me. To, to have a sober life, to have a holy life is beyond me and it requires a strength beyond me. And, and if I have learned anything in my years of following Jesus is that I am never at a place where I am not in need. I am not in need of God's grace. I am not in need of the strength. I am not in a place where I don't need help from others. I'm never in a place where I do not need help from God. I am always in a place where I am in need. And again, this shouldn't be a surprise to us, right? Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, When I am weak, I am needing the strength of what is greater than me. I am needing the strength of others in my life. And that is where I actually get the power and get the strength. It is not from my own ability to maintain. It is a recognition that I am in need. And then something happens. Something happens to me. It happens into what I'm living and how I'm living, all of a sudden there is a strength that is mine, not because I've earned it or developed it, it's because I'm dependent on it. And now God is able to give it. How do we give what we don't have? Right? How can you give sobriety if you don't have sobriety? How can you give power if you don't have power? You have to first receive it. And there's a power that God wants to give. Something happens when we recognize our need and recognize our inability to meet that need ourselves. And this is at the very foundation of our faith is the need for God to help us constantly. We talked about this previously. Repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing where we're recalibrating our lives in line to what God has wanting us to do. I'm never at a place where, yeah, I got it. Boom. Okay, let's go. I'm always recalibrating. Oh, God, help me as I move forward. There is power available to those who recognize their need and their inability to meet that need themselves. Three, I've made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. There's a decision I have to make. I don't understand how to live my life. I'm going to turn that over to God. As I understand him, as we understand him, as the scriptures are declaring him, there's a strength that God gives that only comes from him. And our turning the power over. Me emptying out my pockets and saying, I'm poor. I've got nothing here. I need everything. And there is a power there, which is so contrary to the way we think, no, you got to pull yourself up by the bootstrap. You got to make it happen. You got to do this. There is a time for work. There is a time for 
determination, but there is a reality that we have to face about our humanity. And when I'm in relationship with people, that reality starts to come to face me. When I'm in relationship with my wife or with my kids and I see my inability to be the husband and dad I need to be, I'm confronted with my shortcomings and I have to empty my pockets and say, God, I've got nothing here. I need some help because I am a selfish son of a gun sometimes and I am blind to the needs of others and I need an awakening within me to empower my life to be actually something that can be helpful to others. Otherwise, I will be isolated and I will start to die. And it's a powerful truth that we have to embrace. And it's something that we have to sit back and allow God to do within us. But that will happen only when we recognize the need and our inability to meet that need ourselves. And this isn't anything new. Isaiah the prophet said, we, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord. You see, you're not just waiting. You're waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting for strength that isn't mine. I'm waiting for wisdom that isn't mine. I'm waiting for guidance that isn't mine to direct my life and, and to move me Forward. There's a strength that God gives that only comes from waiting on him. You know, it's so important that we understand that this isn't just a passive faith that we have. It's a dynamic faith. It's something that is meant to change us. And it's his involvement that changes us. It's not a self-help movement, right? I'm not here to give you all the tools and, and we're going to all jump down and, okay, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. I'm here to tell you, you can't do it by yourself. I can't do it by myself. We need God. We need each other. We do. It's our condition. But it's okay. Because he has made us for this. Sabbath, that was made for you. You weren't made for the Sabbath. God made creation to help you understand his intention for you. And this is something that even Jesus himself did. Luke 5 says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Jesus is popular. It's being spread everywhere. And what does he do? Verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Doesn't mean that he was alone, but he would often withdraw and he would pray. And I have to wonder, what is prayer about? What, what did Jesus have to do to pray? I mean, we, we see and think of Jesus as being complete and having all that is necessary, being God incarnate. Then what would he need and why would he need to pray? And why would he go often to pray if it wasn't a recognition 
that he would say, the words I speak, they're not mine. It's what the Father says. I don't do anything of my will, but only the things that the Father shows me to do. That there is a dependency on God for everything that he does. And if Christ is that way, shouldn't I be? Prayer has become dangerous. When I spend time with God and I allow God to actually influence me, where I'm not going and I'm not talking and telling God what I want and what the needs are. There's a time for that. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but there have been times where I just go and for however long I set, I say, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to be silent. And if you ever try to be silent in your mind, it's like, man, forget about it, right? Forget about it. It's something you can't do, and I'm not trying. Okay, stop, stop thinking, stop thinking. I allow these things to come into my mind, but I don't allow them to hold on to my mind. Oh, yeah, that's right. I got to take care of that. Oh, I better take that. No, I allow it coming. Okay, okay, that's there. And then I come back to the place where taste and see the Lord is good. I'm just going to repeat this in my mind. And all of a sudden, I am aware of things in my life that I was just blind to. All of a sudden, I'm aware of maybe how I act or my attitudes towards people or my lack of commitment in areas. And all of a sudden, I feel like it's dangerous. It's like, okay, go spend time. It's like, ah, if I go, God's going to be there. And he's going to speak to me. And he's going to change me. And it's going to affect how I live. And it's going to move me to be a different person. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes I don't really want to be a different person. Sometimes I'm stubborn in the things that I'm doing. And I find when I'm stubborn, sometimes I forget conveniently to spend quiet time with God. And then I'm reminded, you know, you can't ignore me. I'm still here. And I'm being confronted by a God of Sabbath who recognizes, who helps me to recognize that I am not here just to live and just to do, that I am here to live in relationship with the living God. And I am made for him and I need him and I need people. And before I go anywhere, I need to wait I need to own the truth. And I need to let it shape me. And I can't be afraid of the silence. I can't be afraid of the need. I can't be afraid of my inability. I need to lean into it because in my weakness... He is strong. And so we are told before we go and make disciples, we need to wait. We need to be clothed with power, and that power looks a lot like weakness. 
that power looks a lot like humility. I know we want it to be thunderous and we want it to be powerful, but it looks a lot like Jesus. And we need to embrace that and allow it to change us. Let's pray. Lord, I have a hard time being still. And you know my anxieties. You know my fears. And Lord, I know that I am not alone in this. That many of us here struggle with wanting to be in control and taking charge. But God, there is a freedom that comes from letting go. There is a power that comes in addressing, acknowledging, accepting our weakness. There is strength available when we see our lives as unmanageable. We see ourselves as unable. There is work that can only be done when in our humility we are able to be clothed with your power. Lord, I pray that we would be still Know that you are God and allow that still small voice to thunder inside our soul, to wake us up, to shake us up and to change what we are blind to and what we cannot change ourselves. Lord, begin something in us allows us to become someone else. Become the men, the women, the church that you want us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you wait and allow the voice of God to illuminate depths of your life. May you be still and know that he is God. May you be changed in the process. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.